Man, God is good. Amen. It's uh, what was happening at the altar during that time of corporate intercession was powerful. You know, people were coming up and I know you're sitting there, so you can't really see everything that's going on. It's just everyone's backs to you. And I guess if you see some shoulders going like this, you're like, oh, I guess some people are crying. I don't know what's going on. But uh, from right here, I could see that God was setting people free. That God was setting people free of, of bondages and, and past hurts and things that the enemy has, has maybe put in their lives to try and steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that they may have life and have it to the full. If you're wondering who I am, it's like, who's this guy? He's, he's like going back and forth up here. My name is Marcus Corpening. I'm the campus pastor here at New Philadelphia Church, Itaewon. New Philly is a church that has multiple campuses. We have a, yeah, you, you can woo about Itaewon. Come on. Ow! Come on. Mm. Ow! We're, <laughs> the people here love to be a part of this community because God is doing something awesome in this community. You know, whenever you're a part of something where God is moving, it's okay to be excited about it. You know, a lot of churches, especially a lot of religious churches, they tell you, like, don't get too excited. That's emotionalism. That's sensationalism. Why are you crying? Don't be crying. You know, control yourself. <laughs> you don't really see that in the Bible. <laughs> you know, you don't see Jesus walking around talking about like, what? why? Why did you climb that tree to see me? Control yourself. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with you? What? Woman, why did you burst in here and break this over my feet? What's wrong with you? Control yourself. No, he said, oh, what she's done, you know, it will be remembered forever. It's okay to be excited about what the Lord is doing. It's okay to be like, Itaewon, woo! Uh! Ow! Because God is moving in this place. Yeah, so I'm the campus pastor here at New Philadelphia Church, Itaewon. New Philly is made up of three different campuses, which is soon to become many more. Uh, right now, we, we have a campus called Hillside. That's our main campus. And then Itaewon was planted in 2010 uh, at King Bar. Bar, Ba, Hop. It was a Hof, whatever you call it. It was a bar in Itaewon where a, t- a, ten, a, ten, a team of us, no, that's not right. A team of 10 was sent from Hillside. And we, we planted that church, and that's where you're standing now. We moved from King Bar. This is obviously not a bar. Um, and then earlier this year, um, the third church plant, Seaside, was started. The lead pastors of this church, Pastor Christian, Pastor Aaron Lee. And so um, they are the head pastors over all the campuses. And then they sent me, or they appointed me, to oversee this campus. And it's very similar to what we see in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been going through 1 Corinthians now for a while. And so the family here, you know that, you know, we're going to continue to go through this book. Why? Because, you know, when, when the scripture was written, yeah, it was written to a particular people at a particular time. But God's wisdom and God's word is not just near, it's also far. You know, God is above time. God can speak a word to you in this moment. That will make perfect sense to you right now. And then it will mean even greater sense 10 years down the road. God can speak something to you. He can speak something to a fisherman long before you were ever born. And it will have relevance to your life now. 
God is a God that's above time. And so this book of First Corinthians, these letters that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, they have they were written to a particular church at a particular time. But it's not a dead book. The Bible is not dead. The word of God is living and active. You know, a lot of people I was atheist for six years. And so when I was atheist and I would meet Christians, the first thing I would talk about was how it was about a book written by a bunch of dead fishermen. And therefore, that book is dead itself. But the word of God, that was deception. My mind was jacked up. I was in a ton of bondage because the word. Yes. It's true. I was. Yes, I was in a ton of bondage. The word of God is living and it is active. So that means you can read. The word of God today, and it will mean something to you today, even though it was written thousands of years before you were ever born. Man, God is good. You ever think about the word of God in that kind of way that God is so good that he would think to provide something for you before you were ever born? I'm going to provide something for them that's going to be spirit in life, that's going to direct them, that's going to guide them, that's going to give them principles, going to give them It's going to show them how to live, how to live in the way that I'm calling them to live. I'm having a Selah moment right now. Wow. And God is good. Today, I want to speak to you out of chapter three in the book of first Corinthians, the first letter to the church in Corinth. And I know in the past we've uh, we've broken down. The first two chapters. This time we're going to go through the entire chapter. Go make some headway. Come on, somebody. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Come on. Everyone there, say amen. Okay, so we're going to read. And how about we just read... um, Wow, this is a lot. But what we'll do is we'll read. I'll read two verses. You read two and we'll alternate until we're finished. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. For we are God's Fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it.
each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And let's read this last one together. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Let me pray for us right now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that your word is spirit and life. And your word is spirit and life to us for this particular season in this particular time that we are in. I thank you, Lord, that in this place, God, you are building up a mighty house. I think that in this place, you are building up a mighty army, a mighty community, God. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that in this time you are exposing the works of the devil that separate us. You're exposing the works of the enemies, the works of the enemy that keeps us from our destiny, God. And so, Lord, I pray that as I preach, may the word go out sharper than any double-edged sword. God, may it penetrate, God, and may it, Lord, expose our hearts. And God, may you do a work by your spirit to renew us, God, and lead us into all truth. We just thank you for your word, God. We bind every distraction. We bind the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we thank you for your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul, in in chapter 3, he has, he's covering a lot of different things. He's covering a lot of different things that he's trying to speak to the church at this particular time. Because this church in Corinth, this is an important church. It's a church that Paul started. It's a church that Paul planted. It was a small house church, and then all of a sudden it blew up. It had rapid increase. The Holy Spirit came in power. People were coming out to the fellowships, and they were getting rocked. You know, they were they would probably sing a song of worship. And then all of a sudden, after worship, there was an altar call. And then the newcomers were a little freaked out because they'd never been to a church where they did an altar call right after the worship. It's like, that's what's going on. I thought we're supposed to do offering. It says offering right here. Should I go? Should I stay? Should I? uh. You know, Corinth was an amazing church. But even though Corinth had blew up and it had it had increased dramatically, all of a sudden, they had started to separate. There was division that came into the body. And the thing about division is that, yeah, you know, we can look at Itaewon right now, or we can look at New Philly, and we can say, you know, New Philly right now, we're strong. Mm, We are strong, solid rock. Yes. You know, there's no division in this body. But what was happening in Corinth on the outside was really just a manifestation of what was happening on the inside. 
You know, when jealousy and strife and division and and when hatred in the body, when it begins to come and you begin to see it outwardly, it's not because it came out of nowhere. It's not like, oh, snap, where did this come from? Why are they saying they hate me? It always starts as a seed in the heart. It always starts inside of the heart. Somehow lies get in. Somehow deception gets in. Somehow the people of God begin to believe the wrong things. And this is what happened in the church of Corinth. And see, Paul, he wants this church. The entire point of the letters is that he wants two things to happen in this body. He wants the church in Corinth to be brought to maturity. Everyone say maturity. Maturity. It's good to be mature, right? You know, maturity doesn't come from age. Maturity is not automatic. Anyone can grow old. You don't automatically get maturity with age. He also wants them to build. Everyone say build. He wants that house to mature, but he also wants it to increase in such a way that it's going to be a blessing to that entire city. This sound familiar? You know, God's desire for this congregation, God's desire for each one of us is for us to be brought to maturity. He doesn't want us walking around acting like immature fools. He doesn't want us to be, you know, adults in the natural, but acting like little babies. But not just that, but God wants his house to increase. He wants his house. He wants his people to build. He wants his house to increase dramatically so much so that an entire area is changed. Amen. And this is what happens with Paul when he's speaking to them. Last week, I, I, that's what he's wanting to convey to them. Last week, I talked about what? Do you remember? I talked about being spiritual people. <laughs> no one remembers. Mm. Mm. So we have this podcast ministry at our house. You know, where if you listen to something and it goes in one ear and out the other, you can just download it and put in your headphones. It covers both ears so that the word stays inside. You know what I'm trying to say? Last week, I talked about how God doesn't want us to live as natural people. He doesn't want us to walk around as people in the flesh. Paul was speaking to them and he said, I don't want you to be natural people. I want you to live as spiritual people. And in chapter three, Paul is speaking to them again. He brings up what he had just talked about. And he says, you know what? I want to address you as spiritual people. I want you to be spiritual people. I want to have a you ever talk to a spiritual person? It's like your conversations with them, like even if they, you know, like I know sometimes I talk, I have conversations with people and they're like, Marcus, just his humor, his sarcasm. It's always just in the flesh, but I'm a spiritual person <laughs> because like if you have a conversation with me after a while, things are going to shift and it's, it's going to get deep. And then before long, you're like, what? I don't know why I'm crying. I just I didn't even know what we we're talking about. I asked you about where can I buy pizza? 
like you have a conversation with a spiritual person and all of a sudden you're talking about the deep things of God. All of a sudden, I remember when I was, I was asked to take Pastor Robert Daniels, who's Pastor Benjamin. Pastor Benjamin is Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron's spiritual father mentor. And Pastor Daniels mentors Pastor Benjamin. And Pastor, I was, Pastor Christian told me, I want you to take Pastor Daniels to the airport. And so we go on the airport. We get on the airport bus. And I remember as we were heading to Inchon Airport, like, I know, like, you can have one deep conversation with someone. And some of our capacity is, like, maybe, like, 15, 20 minutes, right? Like, you can talk to me about something deep for 20 minutes. But after that, it's too much. He talked to me about deep stuff for, like, two hours. It was just, like, everything he was saying. I was, like, trying to write it down. I was, like, trying to put it in my phone, trying to record. I'm, like, running out of memory. Like, all this stuff because he was just such a deep spiritual person. He's, he was an, he's an example of a mature Christian, a mature Christian, sorry, mature, mature, same word to me. When I talk to Pastor John Michael, our conversations, maybe in the beginning, we're talking about basketball or we're talking about football and maybe how maybe one of our favorite teams lost um, on Saturday. Um, you guys will, you guys will rebound, you know, you, you'll do better next week. You'll do better. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But after a while, we end up talking about deep things. We start talking about the deep things of God. We start talking about what God is doing in our lives and what God's doing, not just in our lives, but in in the spiritual atmosphere in an entire region. God desires for each one of us to have those kind of relationships. That's what it looks like to be mature. But Paul speaks to me, says, I, brothers, He says, I I wanted to address you as spiritual people, but I could not address you as spiritual people. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I wanted to have a deep. I wanted to give you some deep, deep things. I wanted to speak to you on such a deep level, but I can't. Instead, I can only talk to you in the flesh. Paul's like, I want to talk to you about the deep workings of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about what it's like to go up to the third heaven. I want to talk to you about signs and wonders and miracles. I want to talk to you about God's power being released in an entire region. But I can't. Instead, I got to keep talking to you about square one. Instead, I got to keep talking to you about the basic, the milk. And why is that? Why does why is he why is it that he can't talk to them about the deep things? He says, because you're still of the flesh. And then he gives us the reason in verse three. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, everyone say jealousy. Jealousy. Everyone say strife. strife. See, the first thing I want you to know today is that you cannot mature as a believer with jealousy and strife in your life. Today, I'm going to make it real basic. I got two points. The first is that you cannot mature as a believer with jealousy and strife in your life. And the second is that you cannot build with jealousy and strife in your life. 
See, Paul comes in and he says, I want to speak to you on a deep level. I want you to be mature. I want you to be a spiritual person to have deep spiritual maturity. But I can't because you're acting like little babies. He's like, how, how are you acting like a little baby? It's because you have jealousy and strife in your heart. Last night, Pastor Christian, he preached a message about jealousy. He talked about how the word jealous is the same word as being zealous. They're just opposite sides of the same coin. Jealous is, is zeal that's actually in a negative sense. Where zeal is that burning desire, that burning, even jealousy that's in a positive. But when Paul comes to them, he's not talking about zeal of the Lord. He's not saying, you know, I really want to talk to you guys about some deep stuff, but you're so on fire for God. You're so zealous. You're so crazy for God. I can't even do it. No, he says, you're so jealous. There's so much jealousy. The word jealousy, it actually means fervent zeal, right? In a negative way. Webster, I looked it up. I did my research. Webster's defines to be jealous, to mean to be hostile toward a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. You ever been jealous? Don't get vulnerable. You know, I've been jealous. You know, back in my, my, uh, before I met the Lord days, I used to be a real jealous person. I remember it like this girl I dated in college. I was so jealous. Like we walked down the street and like, it'd be like someone like, it's like, it'd be something like, like I knew she knew. Like, it's like, we were all friends. He'd be like, Hey, how's it going? She'd be like, Hey, I'm like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Hold on now. Hold on now. Hold on now. Why you say hey like that? You had an extra A at the end of that hey. She's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm, oh, oh, we're going to play it off like that, huh? We're going to play it off. I saw the way he looked at you. And I saw the way you looked at him. She's like, you were standing behind me. You couldn't even see. I was like, oh, so you did, huh? Caught you. I caught you. Used to be. I, I remember, he, <laughs> I'm not going to get that vulnerable. Because then, no, I've already gotten too vulnerable with y'all. I realized I, I shared the instant messenger story. And, uh, and then everyone, after that, if you're a newcomer, you're wondering what that means. Podcast. Podcast. I ain't going to tell you which message it was, but podcast. Listen to them all. You know what it's like to be jealous? See, jealousy means to be hostile toward a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. You know, jealousy arises in your heart when you feel it starts out with envy. See, envy is I wish I had that which somebody else has. I wish I could possess what that person possesses. I wish I could have it. That's envy. Right? Mm, you know, I really envy you. You know, a lot of people say that somebody gets blessed. Oh, I envy you. I really wish I could. I'm I'm really envious. But jealousy is when that envy becomes hostile. It's not only that I wish I had what you had, but I hate you because I wish I had what you had. 
or I have contempt towards you. It doesn't even have to be hatred. Some of you are like, hate is a strong word. Why are you saying hatred? I said hate. And some of you went, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's more like I feel contempt towards you because you have what I wish I had. You ever wanted someone else's blessing? You ever wanted someone else's breakthrough? You ever seen someone else get a promotion and you're like, man, I wish I had that. Why why didn't I get that? It's jacked up. (laughs) Or maybe, you know, maybe that guy that you were really interested in ends up with someone else. Mm. Got real serious. All of us in some way or another, we deal with jealousy. But jealousy in and of itself is rooted in deception. It's like I said, you're hostile towards a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. And I said, you can't mature with jealousy and envy in your heart, right? Because jealousy prevents you from maturing. The reason jealousy prevents you from maturing is because you become so fixated on what someone else has. You become so fixated on what someone else has got and what God has given someone else and how God has spoken into someone else's life that you never spend time focusing on what God has put in yours. You never spend time being faithful to the stewardship that God has placed in your life. You're too busy trying to steward what someone else has. If I could only get what they had, if I could only have what they had. Jealousy. All of a sudden, the things that you're supposed to be stewarding, the things that are supposed to be maturing and you're supposed to be cultivating in your life, they don't get cultivated. Because your your eyes are fixated on someone else. Paul says that it's because of jealousy that you're not maturing. The second thing he says is it's because of strife. Everyone say strife. You know, strife actually means rivalry, rivalry, contention, competition. The definition of strife actually, like I said, it means rivalry. And that means where one or two or more people are striving for something that only one person can attain. It's like I'm from I'm from North Carolina. Right. And I went to the I went to UNC, the University of North Carolina. And uh, we are the Tar Heels. You know what I'm saying? We, we win championships. We do, we do really well in basketball. Not so much in football. Lord, I'm still fasting and praying about football. Um, but our biggest rival is this university about eight miles down the road called Duke. Now, if you talk to me and I say I'm from North Carolina and I went to school in North Carolina, please do not say, did you go to Duke? Or... Are you from Duke or you look like someone that's from Duke? The Lord's still working in me, so I can't really promise that I'm going to be like, you know, I, I'm just saying, you know, if, it, if we I, I'm just saying, like, if it gets violent, I'm I'm sorry now. But Duke is our biggest rival and Duke is our biggest rival because every season we compete back and forth for championships. Every, every season we're playing against Duke, it's like the biggest game because that game means something. Now, there's another university down the road, and it's called North Carolina State. And they think they're our rivals. 
But when we play them, like, the game doesn't really mean much. You know what I'm saying? Like, we beat them, and we're like, every time we actually cheer, we're like, not our rivals. Not our rivals. (laughs) It's pretty awesome, right? I mean, uh, no, wait, sorry. I'm preaching against rivalry. Against rivalry. (laughs) Yeah, we, we, we do that every year, and so because we, we beat them often, um, but <laughs> I don't know why I started talking about UNC, but rivalry and strife is when you're competing against someone for something that you feel like only one person can possess. The church in Corinth, they had a lot of strife. They had a lot of rivalry. That's why one person was like, I follow Paul. And another person was like, I follow Apollos. And another person was like, I follow Peter. And that was because they felt like that if I only follow this one person, the wisdom of God, it's in short supply. It's in really short supply. So I'm going to follow Paul because if I follow Paul, I'm going to get it before the person who follows Apollos. If I follow Apollos, I'm going to get the wisdom of God before the people who follow Paul. Now, I know many of you, you don't do that, right? You don't have this kind of rivalry inside of your heart, right? Like when God blesses someone next to you, you don't feel like your blessing decreases, right? No, you don't have to say right. When one person, God gives one person a breakthrough or one person comes into the altar, you feel like that your blessing or your breakthrough has somehow decreased. See, strife is is predicated in this belief that the, the wisdom and the blessing and the grace of God is in short supply. Therefore, I need to compete with the person next to me for it. And you never mature. It keeps you as an infant because then all of a sudden you're holding on to everything around you. You you begin to you never learn that God's blessing is actually not just meant for you, but it's meant for someone else. It's weird. This book I'm reading right now. I don't know how it ended up going into this chapter, but it starts talking about child development. And I wasn't expecting it to go in. It's a book called Boundaries, right? And halfway through the book, it starts talking about child development, like raising your child. And I was reading it and I was like, this is not applicable to me. Like, why am I reading this right now? Oh, and I was like, oh, that's good. Oh, I'm going to remember that one, you know, but it was like 10 years down the road. But I'm reading this about child development and it talks about the different stages of an infant. The first stage of an infant it talks about is attachment, where a child is nursed and nurtured by their mother. And during that time when they are being nursed and nurtured by their mother, it creates this deep attachment between the child and their parents. It's a really deep attachment that happens. But if anything happens or if there's any distance or there's any separation or anything happens in that stage of attachment, it messes everything else up. Because the next stage that comes after that is the the no stage, you know, it's like that mind stage. It's when the child begins to actually detach from their parents far enough to where they begin to create their own identity. And it's marked by when an infant is saying no all the time and saying mine all the time. I remember when I was at Living Hope and their daughter, Alethea, was going through this stage. And it was like the most annoying, crazy thing ever. Like we'd be in the car with her and I'd be like, I'd just be like, hi, Alethea. And she's like, no. I was like, I didn't even ask you a question. 
You know, it's like, Alethea, come give me a hug. No! I'm like, okay, why, why you got to speak into my identity like that? <laughs> like, I just asked for a hug. It's like, uh, just give me a kiss on the cheek. No! Get away! No! I was like, okay, all right. You know what? I'm just going to give us some space right now because we having some issues. You know, I've heard so many preachers that talk about that stage of development. They're like, if you want to know, if you want to see if original sin is true, look at this stage. Which it's not true at all. It's actually that in that moment, that's when a child is developing their own personal identity. So them being able to say no is saying it's them being able to have enough boundaries to say I'm my own person without a loss of love. You know, so a child, a baby saying no isn't like a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. They need to be able to say no and experience no loss of love. Know that their parents don't hate them. Their mom's not hurt because you said no. But when things get jacked up in that attachment stage, what happens is that the child says no. And then the mom or the parents get all hurt. And then the child learns that they can never say no. So then they always feel bad for saying no for the rest of their life. But what comes with that no stage is also the mind stage, right? I remember this, time, this too when she was there. She was going through like the, the no stage and the mind stage at the same time. I was so confused. Because she was like, I was like, Alethea, give me a hug. She's like, no. I was like, can I have a cookie? No, it's mine. I was like, you got 37 cookies. You're only going to eat two of those. You can at least give me one. No, it's mine. She just kept in. I know that that sounds that can sound kind of similar, but it was about 10 decibel levers levels louder and with a lot more angst behind it. It was like, mm, I'm like, no, and I was like, I didn't even know babies could make that face. Like, I remember even when I was a little kid with my little brother and maybe my development was a little different, but I, I'm six years older than my brother. And I was like eight years old and he was two. And I remember we had like this, uh, we had like this four player video game, but I never wanted to let him play. Like he would come in, he's like, he'd try and grab the controller and it's like a, it's like a four player game. And I'm like, no, it's for one player. And he'd go off crying and I'm like, it's mine. Because in my mind, I had this belief that him joining him playing this game with me was somehow going to decrease my fun. It was going to decrease my utility. It was going to decrease my blessing. Well, I didn't know about blessing as a child, but that was my belief. And many believers, we walk around with this kind of mentality. When the person next to you says, I got a promotion, we can't rejoice with them because inside of us, we believe that God only has this many promotions. I can't really rejoice with you because your promotion somehow means a decrease for me. The person next to us gets married and all of a sudden we're depressed. Don't, don't act like I'm the only one. Thank you. Receive that blessing. You know, you go to the wedding and oh, I'm so happy for you. So happy for you guys. I'm just so never going to get married. As if because that one person got married. Therefore, now no one, you're, ne- you're never going to get married. because You know how many people are on this earth? 
You know, you have this belief that because someone else got blessed, it takes away from your blessing. Because someone else got touched by God, now you can't get touched by God. Because someone else got that breakthrough in that area you're struggling with, all of a sudden you feel like, oh, now I won't get that breakthrough. It's immaturity. It keeps you as an infant in Christ. You know, the funny thing was, was as I began to grow up, as I began to mature a bit more, I began to realize that when those four-player games, they were meant for more than one player. And so if my brother came and he played the game with me, it actually made the game more fun. It was weird. Like I was, I remember the first time that happened, we were playing like this professional wrestling game. I'm from the South, so we were all into like professional wrestling. Yeah, you know, and uh, you guys obviously don't understand. And uh, I remember I was playing this game and I used to always like it's four player games. I used to put all the other players on computer like and just play by myself. But then one day I had this epiphany. I was like, if my brother plays and I play, we can have more fun. So I brought him in and he's like, is he so excited? Because it's like the first time like ever. He's like grabbing the controller. He's like cleaning it off. He's like, when do we start? I'm like, we ain't even started the game yet. Stop smiling. He's like, We start the game, and I remember we played, and he beat me. (laughs) He beat me. No, but at the end, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't even mad. I was happy. It was weird. I remember even at that time feeling really confused. Because I was like, what? Because we played it together, and because... We played it together. There was an increase in the blessing. Him being blessed didn't take away from my blessing. Actually, it increased my blessing. You know, God, when he blesses one person, when the increase for the person next to you is not a decrease for you, it's actually an increase for you. When God blesses someone next to you with a breakthrough, it's not saying that you won't get that breakthrough. Actually, that's bringing the breakthrough closer to you. When God begins to bless and when he begins to pour into the lives of people around you, it's not an invitation for you to get all depressed and for you to get jealous and for you to begin to compete. See, for a person who's really walking in maturity, they begin to recognize their blessing is my blessing. Their increase is my increase. They begin to recognize that someone else's blessing doesn't come at their own detriment. You know that there's enough God, there's enough favor, there's enough blessing to go around. Do you know that? Growing up, I I was always devastated when things didn't happen my way. And I'd get really jealous and I'd compete so hard because I didn't understand that there was enough of God, there was enough of his blessing, there was enough of his life to go around. So that's the first thing is that you can't mature with jealousy and strife in your life. The second thing is that you cannot build with jealousy and strife in your life. See, jealousy and strife, it doesn't just prevent you from maturing. It also prevents you from increasing. It prevents you from building. See, the thing about jealousy is it doesn't it doesn't only cause you in strife and competition it it doesn't only cause you to to compete and to 
go against the person that's sitting next to you, but it also, it also does something to you. And it does something to the things that you're willing to allow in your life. See, a person that is competing with someone, it's like two businesses. You know, when two businesses, they're competing for greater profits. All of a sudden, what happens is they begin to look for what? Cheaper stuff. They begin to look for cheaper products, cheaper materials, cheaper things to drive down the cost so that they can get an edge over the person next to them, the business next to them, right? When jealousy and strife come into your life, what it does is it not only prevents you from maturing, but it also causes you to go down to the lowest common denominator to get by. When you are jealous of the person next to you or when you are in competition with the person next to you, now all of a sudden you're not trying to build each other up to get better and better. You're digging to try and get the lowest thing possible for you to get by. Now, because I'm so fixated with getting past you, I'm going to do whatever is necessary. I'll lie. I'll cheat. I'll use whatever fleshly means I can possibly use to get by. It begins to reduce us as people in terms of what we are willing to bear and what we're what kind of cost we're willing to pay. See, Paul keeps speaking to them and he says in verses 9, 9 to 13, he says, we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But then he starts speaking about what they build with. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what kind of work each has done. Let me stop right there. Paul talks about two different groups of things that people can use to build the house of God with. And the first is what he says, gold, silver and precious stones. And the thing about gold and the thing about silver and the thing about precious stones is that it's really, really heavy. In order for you to carry it, in order for you to use it, in order for you to use it to build God's house, you can't do it alone. You need people. But jealousy and strife, what it does is it begins to isolate you from the people all around you. All of a sudden, now you're only focused on me. You're only focused on how I can get by. And you begin to build with wood, with hay, and with straw, with perishable things. What he's talking about there is he's talking about your own works, your own human wisdom. You know, as I was thinking about jealousy and strife, what happens is you revert to what's cheapest, what's easiest, and what's fastest to get what you want. But when you don't have jealousy, when you're mature and you recognize that someone else's blessing will bless you, someone else's increase will increase you. Then all of a sudden you're coming together to build. Then all of a sudden you're working together to build something greater than your own. But when it's je- when you're jealous, when you're, you're striving, you know, the, the thing about wood, the thing about hay, the thing about straw, I can pick that up by myself. I can pick it up in large quantities by myself. I mean, you know, I work out, but still. 
I can pick it up easily by myself. But if I'm trying to pick up gold, if I'm trying to build God's house with gold, with silver, with precious stones, I'm going to need someone else. I'm going to need someone else to come alongside me. I'm going to need not just one other person, but multiple people. See, because of jealousy and strife, you don't want to utilize anyone's help. Nor do you want to work with anyone else to build. No, you, you do your thing. You just do you. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to do my thing right here. You build your house, I'm going to build mine. But at the end of the day, what you're building, it, it won't last. It's built with straw, with hay, with wood. It burns at that day. When, when we bring it all before Jesus, it'll all burn. But the things that we build together, those are the things that last. It's funny because I, I was preparing this sermon and God began to speak to me about, about straw, about wood, and about building. He actually talked to me about the three little pigs. You know this story? I remember I was praying and I was like, three little, is that you, Lord? That can't be you. Is it? I guess it is. There's a story about three little pigs. And these three little pigs, they're sent out. There's different variations of the story, but one variation of the story, their mother sends them out to go. It's a children's story, if you've never heard it before. There's these three little pigs. It's called three little pigs. And their mother sends them out to go and, and make houses for themselves. And the first, the first one, he's real ambitious. He's real ambitious. He goes out and he grabs up as much straw as he possibly can. Actually, in the story, it says that he grabs, he grabs straw because it's the easiest. In the story of this three little pig, he, this first pig, he's really ambitious. He's all about him getting everything first, him getting it done first. And he goes out by himself and he grabs up as much straw as he can because it's the easiest thing. It's the lowest common denominator. I'm going to get it fast. I don't want to work for it. I don't want it to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm so filled with this strife, this competition. I'm going to work. I'm not, I'm not even going to work for it. I'm just going to grab some straw and build my house. You know what happens? He builds his house with straw and then all of a sudden this wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. Right? <laughs> it doesn't stand. And it says, actually, there's he's like, you know, he's like, I'm going to he's like, open up the door. And he's like, oh, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. He's like, no, by the hair is my chinny chin chin. And so he huffs, he puffs, and he blows down the house, right? Because he built the house on straw. He built it with what was easiest. He built it right with what he could grab. And the, and the thing is, is that he, he barely escapes. Some stories say that the wolf eats the pig. But I'm like, why are you going to introduce that to children? That's, that's jacked up. Why are you going to tell children stuff like that? You build your house on straw, and the wolf going to eat you. It's like, no, you, you're precious. You barely escape. The pig, he barely escapes, right? He barely escapes and he runs to the house of the second one, right? The second one, he's, he's not as ambitious. He's not filled with as much strife and competition as the older one, but he's still, he's still got this jacked up mindset. So he's just grabbing up sticks, right? He's got his sticks and he builds his house out of sticks. He builds it out of wood. It's easy. He can build it on his own. And the wolf comes again. And, and what does the wolf do? 
Open it up. I'm going to huff, puff, blow your house down. I just wonder how that wolf, like, I wonder if he was a real gangster, you know. Yo, homie, open up. It's, it's wolf. I, I know your older brother Jerome's in there. Yo, his house was built with straw. I huffed and puffed and blow it down. Let me in. I love bacon. Not by the hairs of my chinny chin chin, right? And then he huffs and he puffs and he blows it down. He blows down that house. But the third, the third, what does he build his house out of? You know, the thing about bricks is that you can't just pick up a brick off the street. It's not like a rock or it's not like, you know, you've got to make bricks. Bricks take time. Bricks take effort. I'm pretty sure that third pig, he couldn't even do that all, all on his own or he would have gotten eaten. They would have came and there would have been a half built house. Like, you know, like because his other two brothers, they run and they run to this third house that's been built by brick. And I'm pretty sure that he had to have had some help. Like you just don't build a house by brick by on your own. Like who does that? I'm sure like maybe Pastor John can do that because he's like a Mennonite. He's like really strong. He, he he grew up like he's on the field. He's really crazy. But no one else can build a house of brick on their own. Like you need other people. He builds this house in brick. But the funny thing about this story was that as the other brothers, they narrowly escape. They run into his house and his house is big enough for his other brothers who have not built their house with his, with the brick. The wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he blows down the house. Well, he tries to blow down the house, but he can't. He's like, (laughs) okay, just open up. You know, I can't get through it. And he tries to blow down this house, but he can't. And so, you know, the end of the story, he climbs up on the chimney and he comes down and the he's really smart right the third pig he's smart so he has some like boiling water and i guess they burned the wolf the things we teach our children (laughs) it's like (laughs) and this is what we do to our adversaries i have a point it wasn't just to share with you a children's story see jealousy and strife come in and you begin to try and build the house of God, you try to build things in your life with your own power, with your own strength, with your own determination. But ultimately, all those things, they burn. No, Jesus doesn't come like the big bad wolf and he blows down your house. But it says that as when the day approaches and we present to God everything that we have built. It will be tested with fire. And the things that have been built with wood, with hay and straw, things that have been built out of jealousy and strife, things that we have just tried to build out of our own effort, out of our own immaturity, ultimately those things, they won't last. It's funny, actually, in 1 Corinthians, it says that that those things won't last, but you'll narrowly escape. I read that. I was like, Jesus, did you write the three little pigs? (laughs) Why do I speak? Why do I speak this to you about 
maturing. And, and why do I speak to you about building? It's because God has spoken increase over this house. And it's because God has spoken over this house that we are to do amazing things in this earth. That we're to build a house in which so many people come together and they say, look, let us go up to the house of the Lord. From near and far, they say, let us flock, let us go to the house of the Lord, because that's where the spirit of the living God is being poured out. That's where God's anointing is. That's where his blessing is. That's where his fire is. That's where breakthrough is. That's where healing is. That's where transformation is. It's all in the house of the Lord. And it's all through his people, because the house of the Lord ultimately is not four walls. It's God's people. But when jealousy and strife come into our lives, it breaks everything down. And it doesn't matter how much we pray for increase, how much we want increase, how much we want to grow and mature. When we allow those seeds to still manifest in our lives, ultimately everything burns. The word for you today is to root it out of your life. Because when you root out jealousy and strife, when you take it before God and you give it to him and you have a revelation that God, you know what? You're so big that all the resources are going to be provided for me. God, you're so big that your that the blessing you give my neighbor does not decrease my blessing. It increases my blessing that the, the breakthrough you give to me doesn't decrease someone else. It actually increases someone else. You bless me to be a blessing. When we have that understanding, when we have that mindset, we're able to build things that will last, things that will stand. Things that many other people can flock to and find their safety and their rest. See, today, God wants to change our hearts. That we, will, we can rejoice with one another in our breakthroughs, we can rejoice with one another in our increase and we can build upon one another's increase. Amen. Hey, let us pray right now.